Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 32 of Breaking Dawn, Company. Phone rings, door chimes, in comes company. So where we left off, we found out that Bella's a shield. The Denali clan came for a visit and then they just talked about how seemingly every vampire in existence has a talent except for like Rosalie. And Bella's talent is that she's a super fucking shield. She's the shieldingest shield that has ever shield. She's Brooke Shields. And everyone's just so jazzed about her potential and how she might be able to protect those around her with her shield. So that's her new plan of attack for when the Volturi come a knockin'. But first, we ended on a little bit of a cliffhanger, although not really, because there was no cliff that I'm hanging from. Edward had said Peter and Charlotte are here. Alice sent them. It's time to get ready for the next round. And I'm like, oh my God, so much suspense. And then... We just pick up the next chapter and she's just summarizing the next few days. She just says, yeah, lots of people were coming over. We had company. What, what more do you want me to tell you? <laughs> Meanwhile, Jay Jenks doesn't get a mention. Poor Alice left her specific instructions. Well, maybe not specific, but kind of specific, like r- really tailored scavenger hunt clues specifically for Bella. And Bella's just not done a thing with it. I bet Alice is watching in her visions being like, this fucking lazy bitch needs to get off her ass. Oh, Alice is probably ropeable at the lack of movement from Bella. So we start chapter 32, Company, with her saying, honestly, the songs from Company are just going to be in my head all throughout this recording. So it says, the Cullens' enormous house was more crowded with guests than anyone would assume could possibly be comfortable. She says, even though they've just housed Two big parties, a whole wedding in that house just a couple of weeks ago. And before that, a whole graduation party. And then she describes like, I don't know, 15 vampires visiting. So not that many. In the grand scheme of the parties that they've had, not that many. But she's like, wow, we're packed to the rafters over here. We're just chock full of vampers. And then she says it only worked because none of them slept. If we had to put them all in a bed, oh, it would have been bedlam. It would have been a nightmare if we had to actually get enough beds into this house. But thankfully, no one sleeps. But then, okay, we get into the moral dilemma. She says, mealtimes were dicey, though. Our company cooperated as best they could. They gave Forks and the Push a wide berth, only hunting out of state. Like, okay, she's 
making it sound like it was a minor inconvenience. She was like, oh, it was a bit dicey. And she's not explicitly saying what she's saying, but yeah, they're killing human beings and she's got to be okay with that. Her guests are leaving the house, going out of town and killing people and then coming back. And she's like, oh, hi, welcome back. And morally, that doesn't sit so well with me. And Carlisle's not there at the moment. I imagine he wouldn't be happy with that. But she sort of justifies it being like, ah, out of state, out of mind. At least they're not hunting in La Push and Forks. Well, I I bet the people in the neighboring states aren't too jazzed about it. What other states are near Washington that are just now at the mercy of this ravaging band of vampires? Oregon, you're fucked. Idaho, you're fucked. British Columbia, Canada, you're fucked. She's just like, oh, well, as long as they're out of town, I'm fine with it. And she says, Edward was a gracious host, lending out his cars as needed without so much as a wince. And okay, would he be wincing because he's lending out his car, like they're using up his petrol, or because he's facilitating the murder of human beings? But he's being a gracious host, and I guess that's more important. And she says, the compromise made me very uncomfortable. Okay, yeah, sure it did. Though I tried to tell myself that they'd all be hunting somewhere else in the world regardless. And yeah, they would, but still. And apparently Jacob is super upset by that because werewolves exist to prevent the loss of human life. And here he was just letting them all murder human beings just outside of his border. But she says, oh, well, considering Renesme was in acute danger, he kept his mouth shut. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks for stepping in, doing your sworn genetic duty, Jacob. And apparently the visiting vampires didn't really care about Jacob. They were like, oh, who's that weird smelly kid? They didn't pay him much attention. So, okay, th- that's that hurdle crossed. And then she says, Leah, Seth, Quill, and Embry were assigned to run with Sam for now, and Jacob would have happily joined them, except that he couldn't stand to be away from Renesmee. Okay, I get that he's imprinted on the kid, but everyone else who's imprinted on someone like still manages to live their lives. Like we've seen Sam and Embry and Quill and whoever else is imprinted still perform their duties as a werewolf separate and apart from their imprintee. And yeah, oh no, oh, Jacob can't, he can't bear to be away from Renesmee. Are his feelings more intense because she's a kid in danger? I don't get it. And so she just says, every time some vampires would come, they just do the whole song and dance with Renesmee where she touches their face and she wins them over and just like cut, repeat, cut, repeat. And as soon as she touches them, they're all like, oh, oh, what a precious little child. Oh, I will do whatever I can to protect this child. Of course, I'll be your witness against the Volturi horde. Of course, I'll risk my life for this precious little being. They're all just so wrapped in little Nessie. And I don't get it. Why are vampires so clucky? Like, I get that they technically can't biologically produce, although what's stopping them? If Edward can do it, can't they all do it? But it seems like every vampire we've met is like, oh, I've always wanted a kid. Like, these people still kill. These vampires in particular are out there killing people. They're using Edward's cars to drive out of town and drink human blood. And yet they come home and they're like, how's precious little Renesmee? Oh, she's such a darling. It's like impossible for any vampire to just maybe not even like kids. No, in Stephanie Meyer's world, every vampire is clucky. They've all got baby fever and they all want to take turns babysitting Renesmee. So Peter and Charlotte, who I thought were just like these renegades, 
they'd fought in like the human civil war and the vampire civil war, or I don't know. They eat human blood. Like they kill people on the reg. And she says, curiosity had driven them to allow Renesmee's explanation. And that was it. Now they were as committed to witnessing as Tanya's family. They're besotted. These hardened murderers are just like all in. And she says, Carlisle also sent friends from Ireland and Egypt. And the Irish clan arrived first. And we've heard of them before because they've got the three most Irish names ever. Siobhan, Liam and Maggie. And so apparently (laughs) Maggie also has a gift. Of course she fucking does. And her gift is knowing when she's being lied to. So basically she's Natasha Lyonne in that TV show Poker Face. Have you guys watched that? She just knows when she's being lied to. So she solves murder mysteries throughout throughout America. Like that's that's a fucking great TV show. Anyway, so she's that. So Edward just told them the story and Maggie was like, yep, no lies detected. And so Liam and Shiv, they were like, cool, we believe you too. And then we get a description of the Egyptian vampires, which I don't love. I feel like Stephanie's never really that good at describing people of different races and cultures. And it always comes across a little bit racist. Like we already know from our dealings with Laurent that vampires, when they're turned, their skin I don't know, something with the pigmentation of their skin or whatever, their skin turns white, even if it wasn't white prior to their turning. And so there's already that whole kettle of fish. And so now, okay, let's just, let's just cover it. So the Egyptian leader is called Amun. Like even that feels a bit on the nose, doesn't it? Anyway, okay, so Amun is very cautious of Renesmee and has refused to touch her, even though the other two younger ones, Benjamin and Tia, <laughs> Benjamin and Tia, they're fine with touching Renesmee, so they're all for it. And apparently Benjamin is an oddly cheerful vampire who looked barely older than a boy. Anyway, so he threatened to disband their alliance if Amun was going to be an asshole. So Amun stayed, but he's refusing to touch Renesmee. And he wouldn't allow his mate, Kebby, to touch her either. And here's what I don't like. She says, it seemed an unlikely grouping, though the Egyptians all looked so alike with their midnight hair and olive-toned pallor that they easily could have passed for a biological family. Like, okay, why you got to say that? Like, you didn't just say that about Liam and Maggie and Siobhan. She never describes like James and Victoria as looking like siblings. She doesn't talk about the Denali clan like that. I don't know. That just, that unsettled me a little bit. Maybe I'm too woke. Maybe I'm too woke. Anyway, so Benjamin, he's also the hottest kid in town. Everyone just revolves around Benjamin. And Edward tells her, oh, it's because his gift is so singular that Amun is terrified of losing him. Much like we had planned to keep Renesmee from Arrow's knowledge, Amun has been keeping Benjamin from Arrow's attention. Amun created Benjamin knowing he would be special. So he must have presented some talents as a human, just like Bella did. And so he turned Benjamin knowing that those talents would develop into like a vampire skill. Even though with Bella, that was a bad example because they never actually considered that she would have a shield power. So it's not that similar, I guess. So she says, what can he do? And he says, something Elazar's never seen before. Something I've never heard of. Something that even your shield would do nothing against. He can influence the elements, earth, wind, water, and fire. True physical manipulation. No illusion of the mind. So Benjamin's still experimenting with it. And Amun tries to mold him into a weapon, but Benjamin's too independent for that. So, okay, he can 
physically move and manipulate the elements. How did that manifest when he was a human? Like how, like what could he have been doing to make Amun so confident that he would turn this kid and he'd have that power? Oh God, it makes you wonder. Was he just like a, like a little magician or something? Like, was he already water bending as, as a human child? I wonder, but that doesn't get explained. So then Emma and Rose also sent some individual nomad friends. Garrett came first. He was a tall rangy vampire and he had long sandy hair that he kept tied back with a leather thong. Now I had to read that over a few times. I was like, a leather thong? I've never seen a a thong be used as a hair tie, Uh, but I'm okay. I'm assuming it means like a hair elastic or something, but my mind's just picturing the other type of thong and not the other other type of thong. I'm picturing like a G string anyway. So apparently Garrett's whole shtick is that he's an adventurer. He loves adventuring. I like how Stephanie is just describing these new characters to us. Either they have a skill and that's their like one personality trait or they have a ridiculous personality trait. Like, oh, that one loves adventure. Oh, that one can tell when someone's lying to them. Oh, that one's quiet. Oh, that one's independent. She's just doing a very wide sketch of these characters, isn't she? And then she, she doesn't really even try to describe Mary and Randall. She says, Mary and Randall came, friends already, though they did not travel together. They listened to Renesmee's story and stayed to witness like the others. That's all we get on Mary and Randall. Not not even a personality trait. I was expecting her to be like, oh, Mary was stubborn and Randall read the newspaper each morning, but nothing, no, no trait or quality at all attached to Mary and Randall. I don't even think we'll hear their names ever again. Talk about making no impression, such little impact. So with each new addition, also Jacob was being a little bitch about it. He was grumbling. And apparently he said to Renesmee that someone was going to have to provide an index if anyone expected him to keep all the new bloodsuckers names straight. And like, okay, well, no one's really expecting you to learn their names, Jacob. And then Stephanie's like cheeky. She's like, someone will need to provide an index. And that someone was me, wink, because then there's a little asterisk. And yeah, you go to the back of the book and there's an index, which is, I think, what we all needed. We got to keep all these characters straight, including Mary and Randall. And so, okay, when she put that little asterisk there, that sort of tells you, go to the index now, right? And so then you go to the index and like automatically there's a spoiler because there's all these vampires listed that we've not met yet. So it's alphabetically by coven. And so the first one are the Amazon coven because Amazon starts with A and they're Kachira, Senna and Zafrina. And then there's a little asterisks next to the vampires that have a skill. So Zafrina's got a skill, good for her. So if you're reading it and then going straight to the index, you're like, who the fuck are these people? But okay, I guess they'll show up. Um, and then you go to the Denali coven and she's also got like a line drawn between a couple to show that they're a bonded pair. So we can see that Elazar is bonded with Carmen which we knew. I don't, I don't think we need to rely on the index for that. And then she's also crossed out a name if they've died before the start of this book. So there's Arena bonded to Laurent and Laurent's got his name scratched out as if we'd forget that he's dead. But then she's also scratching out other names like Sasha and Vasily. And I'm like, who the fuck, who the fuck's that? Was that their mum? Like, I don't care about Vasily. Vasily from the Denali clan. Like, I, I don't know who the fuck that is. Then you've got the Egyptian coven. Oh, okay. So Benjamin and Tia are fucking. I, I, I thought they might've been siblings or something, but no, they're a bonded pair. Good for them. Then you've got the Irish coven, uh, the Olympic coven. Uh, 
Carlisle and Esme, Edward and Bella, Jasper and Alice, Renesme, Rosalie, Emmett. Yeah, I know. I know who they are. And like, speaking of spoilers, imagine if you looked at the index first before starting the book, you'd be like, who the hell is Renesme? It looks like a mixture of Renee and Esme, but who the, who the fuck is that? And Carlisle and Esme and Rosalie and Emmett aren't signified as having a little talent, even though I thought we spoke along the way that like Carlisle's talent was helping people. <laughs> Esme's talent was architectural designs and, and Emmett's talent was being like a big old buffhead himbo and Rosalie's talent was, I don't know, <laughs> self-control or some bullshit. They've all been tossed up as having like a little semi-talent that's not a real talent. Anyway, then we've got the Romanian coven, Stefan and Vladimir, which, okay, spoiler alert, they're going to pop up. Then you've got the Volturi coven. Okay, so then we find out who they're banging. We heard that they have the Volturi wives and now we have names to attach to that. So Arrow is banging Solpicia. Solpicia, what a name. And Caius is banging Athenodora. And Marcus was banging Didyme, but Didyme died. Yeah, and then you got the Volturi guard and she's put in brackets partial. She's like, I'm not going to fucking name everyone. I know it's an index, but you're dreaming if I'm going to name everyone. So she just goes through and names pretty much just the ones we've already heard, except also Chelsea is banging Afton, some guy called Afton. Uh, and there's also a vampire called Corin. Like, wh- I don't care about Corin. Then she puts in Felix and Santiago who don't have a skill. Why has the Volturi got people on their guard who don't have a skill? I thought their whole shtick was that they got vampires that had skills. I don't know. And then get this, she's got a list of the nomads and she includes James and Victoria who are both dead. Like we don't give a fuck about them. And they had asterisks. So James had a power. I think it was tracking or something. And Victoria had a power, which was like evasion. I don't think they deserve an asterisk. And then you've got the European nomads, Alastair, Charles. Who the fuck's Charles? And McKenna. McKenna? Is that another spoiler alert? Oh, did, we, did we miss McKenna? And yeah, okay, Mary's there with Randall. No addition to the index explaining who the fuck Mary and Randall are, unfortunately. Okay, so that's the index. Th- thank God, what a great resource. I'm sure we'll all be flipping to the back of the book to consult that. Actually, I mean, I could use that. But it's not that helpful. If it, if it told me the skill, maybe I'd use it more. But like, oh, okay, there's a random person called Felix in the Volturi Guard. Like, oh, great. Anyway, okay, let's get back to the book proper. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So then Carlisle and Esme return a week after they'd left, and Emmett and Rosalie return just a few days after that. And so they're all like, phew, they're back. And Carlisle brought Alistair. And so Alistair's deal is that he's a misanthropic English vampire who could hardly stand to visit Carlisle more than once a century, even though they're like buddies. And his whole big deal is that he's super independent, doesn't want to hang out with anybody. And so he just hangs out in like the attic, not wanting to talk to anyone and just like grumbling about the fact that he's there. He's like, oh, geez, the Volturi, ugh. He's been like wanting to avoid them for centuries and now he's here in a conflict with them. And he's like, of course, they'll know I was here. No way to keep it from Arrow at this point centuries on the run. That's what this will mean. Ugh. Everyone Carlisle's talked to in the last decade will be on their list. I can't believe I got myself sucked into this mess. It's like, okay, leave then. Like no one needs you in the attic grumbling. Get the fuck out. Oh, and he's special because he actually got a personality trait and a skill to remember him by. So his skill is that he's also a tracker although not nearly as precise and efficient as Dimitri. He just feels an elusive pull toward whatever he was seeking. But that pull would be enough to tell him which direction to run, which would be the opposite direction from Dimitri. Okay, what a, what a great skill to have. And I actually mean that. I know I sounded sarcastic when I said that, but like how often do you guys misplace the TV remote or your phone or something? And you're like, where the fuck is it? And you tear the house apart. If I could just feel that pull towards my phone, like, great. It'd be like having an automatic air tag on everything that you've lost. Like, uh, amazing. That's the one gift I think I'd actually want. I don't want Kate sending shockwaves to people. I want this pull technique. Oh, and then the Amazons arrive. And this also makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable with how she describes the Amazonian women. So straight up, One of them's called the taller of the two very tall. Okay, the taller of the tall. Okay. All right, let's just read the sentence. Carlisle, the taller of the two very tall feline women greeted him when they arrived. Okay, so they're tall. And you'd think by calling them taller of the talls, uh, that would be enough for us to know that they're tall. But then she says, both of them seemed as if they'd been stretched. Long arms and legs, long fingers, long black braids and long faces with long noses. Okay, so they're long. They're tall and they're long. And they wore nothing but animal skins. And it wasn't just their eccentric clothes that made them seem wild, but everything about them. She says, from their restless crimson eyes to their sudden darting movements, I'd never met any vampires less civilized. Like she could 
Like Stephanie could mean that genuinely, like, oh, they're, they're not from civilization. Like she could mean that like literally, but it seems a bit yoikes. And Alice had sent them. So Alice went all the way to South America to find them. And she said, Kachiri split up. So Kachiri's not there yet because Alice told them that it was important that they be kept away from each other. Not too sure why, but dickhead Bella's like, wow, Alice was in South America. I wonder what she was doing there. I don't know, bitch, she was visiting ILS, mate. She was having a holiday. She's on vacay, who knows? So then Bella brings out Renesme to go through the whole spiel. And she says, despite their fierce appearance, they listened very calmly to our story. Like, can you stop maybe going on about how wild and savage they look? And like, they're all vampires. They're all wild and savage because they're vampires, but she's not using those words in this way. She's using them to mean like, they're uncivilized. They're like not of this world because they don't wear like pants. She's like, oh, they, they move in sudden movements. Like, yeah, they're vampires. Everyone moves in sudden movements in this house right now. But you, you're making it known for them. Like you don't trust them because they're so different. I don't know. It's, it's yoikes anyway. No matter how yoikes and uncivilized and eccentric and wild they are, they were like also baby crazy. So they're like, oh my God, Renesmee, what a darling little girl. But even as they're like doting over Renesmee, Bella, this racist little bitch, she gets uncomfortable. She says, I couldn't help worrying as I watched their swift jerky movements so close beside her. Like they're gonna harm Renesmee just by moving quickly around her. Also. You also move quickly, Bells. You can step in if something bad were to happen. Ugh, I don't love this Bella with how she describes people. And so she says, the news about Alice was oddly comforting. Clearly she was on some obscure mission of her own. Uh, yes. And clearly that would make you think about Jay Jenks in Seattle, but no, it doesn't. She does not bring up Jay Jenks. Oh, and also Zafrina has a gift and it's an offensive gift. So she can make people see images in their head. It doesn't work on Bella, of course, because it's all mental, but she can project an image and that's all that people can see blocking out the rest of their sight. Edward's like, yeah, right now I'm standing in the middle of a rainforest. He says, it's so clear I might possibly believe it, except for the fact that I can still feel you in my arms, he tells Bella. And I'm like, okay, dickhead, you can read minds. Of course, you're not in the rainforest. I'm sure it's not just the presence of Bella in your arms that would make you think that you're not there. Surely you can't get one passed on a mind reader so easily. And then, because Bella doesn't trust them because they're not white and wearing jeans, she gets nervous when Renesmee asks for a demonstration of Zafrina's powers. So she says, I watched anxiously as Renesmee's eyes stared blankly into space. And of course, she must've just shown her something nice. So Renesmee loves it. And she says, after that, it was hard to keep Renesmee away from Zafrina and her pretty pictures. I worried because I was quite sure that Zafrina was able to create images that were not pretty at all. So she's worried that like, she's showing her like R-rated M15 material. Like, bitch, she's not showing your child Scarface. She's just showing pretty pictures like rainbows and shit. And then she says, Through Renesmee's thoughts, I could see Zafrina's visions for myself. They were as clear as any of Renesmee's own memories, like they were real. And thus I could judge for myself whether they were appropriate or not. 
this little fucking kid is in a house full of vampires that kill people. She's been sleeping in the next room over while you and your husband fuck the house down. She has her own vivid memories of her own birth where you died in a horrific death. And you're worried that Zephrine is going to show her something that's not appropriate. Like, I'm sorry, does Bella come across as a Karen? I feel like she's Karening out right now. She's never been afraid about anyone looking after Renesme, but Zafrina, she's got a bone to pick with. And she says, though I didn't give her up easily, I had to admit it was a good thing Zafrina was keeping Renesme entertained because I needed my hands. Like, oh, I'm so glad Zafrina could be of service to you, Bella. Even though you don't trust her, even though you think her sudden jerky movements might danger the child, even though you think her skilled talent of showing pictures could scar her. Oh, I'm so glad you've now got your hands free. And she's not a high maintenance kid. She's already bloody walking on two feet and you've barely done anything to raise that child. But she's like, oh, it's good to have my hands free. And so what she means by having her hands free is she's training to be a fighter. And so she's trying to get Edward to wrestle her so she can practice. But Edward is just like not into it because, oh, he can't, he can't bear to hurt her. He's like, I can't, Bella, I can't. He's like, I can't hurt my mate. It's just not something I can do. And so he just like refuses to beat her up, which is, you know, kind of not a bad thing. But she's like, oh, come on, do it, you pansy, do it, do it. Like she's trying to goad him into like hitting her. And he's like, no go learn fighting from someone else. And so she's like, all right, I will. And Emmett, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. So (laughs) Emmett's been starting to beat her up. And like, she thinks he was going overboard to take revenge for all of the lost arm wrestling matches. She says, if I could still bruise, I would have been purple from head to toe. Okay, Emmett, like you could pull your punches a little bit, bro. And then Rosalie, Tanya and Elazar, they all helped too. She says their lessons reminded me of Jasper's fighting instructions to the others last June, though those memories were fuzzy and indistinct. I hate how she does this. Every time she mentions that she remembers something from when she was human, she has to tell us, oh, those memories are fuzzy and indistinct. It's like, okay, bitch, well, if they're that fuzzy and indistinct, why do you keep remembering them? Every single time she thinks of something from a human life, she's like, oh, they're fuzzy. They're fuzzy memories. It's like, yeah, we get it. You know how you could stop reminding us by like maybe not having memories all the time. She's always flashbacking. And then she's got to preface the flashback that it's blurry. Oh, and then she says she did fight with Zafrina once. She says, I learned several tricks, but I never asked for her help again. It's like, oh, why? If she's, if she's that helpful in one lesson where she can teach you multiple tricks, why wouldn't you have enlisted her help for a second lesson? Sounds like she's probably been the best teacher yet. She says, in truth, though I liked Zafrina very much. Okay. I don't know if she does. And I knew she wouldn't really hurt me. Okay, great. The wild woman scared me to death. What? She's terrified of Zafrina. I think she's just a racist. I really do. And then she says, every minute of the day that I wasn't with Renesme or learning to fight, I was in the backyard working with Kate. And see how she says, of the day, because remember their arrangement is that as soon as the sun goes down, her and Edward are banging each other's brains out in the cottage. And then the sun comes back up and they're back to everyday duties. But for those 12 hours when the sun's down, it's, oh boy, you don't want to know. It's go to woe. So with Kate, she's practicing pushing out her internal shield. And so there's a bit of a training montage here 
where she keeps trying to describe it as like pushing an elastic band. She says that like 65 times and she's not having much success, but I don't understand why they've set up the experiment this way. She says, only Edward was willing to be our guinea pig to receive shock after shock from Kate while I grappled incompetently with the insides of my head. So she's shocking Edward while she's trying to push out her shield to cover Edward so that he doesn't feel the shock from Kate. It's like, did they forget that Edward can read minds? Like, why doesn't she just stand next to Renesme or Carlisle or Emmett and then push out the shield and see if Edward can read Emmett's mind? Like, why, why aren't we doing that hands-off approach? But they're like, oh, the only way we can practice is by Kate zapping Edward. What, why, why? And she says, it killed me that it was Edward who had to suffer. He doesn't have to suffer actually. Like you could just find a workaround. She says, my arms wrapped uselessly around him while he winced over and over from Kate's low setting. I tried as hard as I could to push my shield around us both. Every now and then I would get it and then it would slip away again. Meanwhile, he's getting zapped to death. Like try it the other way around. And she even says, I hated this practice and I wished that Zafrina would help instead of Kate. That all Edward would have to do was look at Zafrina's illusions until I could stop him from seeing them. Like, okay, yeah, good workaround. Also, the, the experiment doesn't have to be done on Edward. Who, who came up with that? Well, actually, okay, it, she says Kate is the one that came up with that. Kate insisted that Bella needed the motivation. Like, her hatred of watching Edward in pain was enough motivation for her to stretch out the shield. But Bella's like, you know what? I'm starting to think she's just sadistic. She just thinks Kate likes zapping people, which she might. So Edward's getting tased and he's like, good job, Bella. Barely felt that one. (laughs) And Bella's getting pissed off because she's like, Kate doesn't really need to be zapping him so hard, but she seems to be really zapping him that hard. So she's like, again. I thought she didn't like this, but she's, she's getting Kate to zap him a lot. So yeah, she's struggling. She can't really project the shield out that great. She does it sometimes, but then yeah, Edward gets zapped. And Kate's like, well, she can do better. She's lacking incentive, Kate says. And Bella's like, Kate's a bitch. And then Edward warns Kate. He's like, Kate, because she's had a thought. And so then she's up. She runs over where Renesmee's hanging out with Zafrina and Senna. And who's Senna? Senna? Did we meet Senna? Oh, I don't care. With Zafrina and Senna. I'm not going to flip to the fucking index. That's what I'm not going to do. Okay. Zafrina, Senna and Renesmee are all hanging out together. And so Kate runs over and she grabs Renesmee's hand. And she's like, you want to help your mum? And stupid Nessie's like, of course I do. Not realizing she's going to get zapped. And Bella's like, no fucking way, Kate. She's like, step back. She's like, Senna, hold me back, Senna. Who's Senna? Should I go to the index? No, I don't care. And Renesmee's like, yeah, I'm happy to help. And Bella's like, get the fuck away from her, Kate. And Kate's like, just protect her with your shield then. So Bella swoops in. She's got Renesmee on her back now. And she's like, back off, Kate. But Kate keeps moving forward. And Bella says, Kate probably didn't understand, never having known for herself the passion of a mother for her child. She must not have realized just how far past too far she'd already gone. I hate that. I hate how she's like, Kate being childless, 
could not possibly know or understand what a mother would do for their child. It's like, well, maybe Kate has a little scrap of empathy and she can imagine it. Maybe you don't need to have pushed a kid out to understand that feeling of wanting to protect a child. But no, Bella's like, Kate couldn't possibly understand. A mother's love is something only a mother knows. But Bella's also an idiot and doesn't realize that this is all part of the test. Like Kate's obviously goading her on purpose to stretch out her power. And it's working. Bella's like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And she stretches out her power and it encompasses Renesme. So while like Bella's also doing that, she's growling at Kate, thinking Kate's just the most evil person in the world. And then Kate says, oh, Edward, can you hear Renesme's thoughts? Like this was all part of a long con against you, Bella. Like I'm not actually gonna zap your child, you idiot. And Edward's like, nah, I can't hear anything from Nessie. And so when Edward says he can't hear anything from Nessie, she's like, oh, okay, good. And Edward's like, okay, now back off, Kate. And she's like, okay. Like it was all part of like the test, clearly. But Bella's still growling and she doesn't get it. It takes Renesme putting her hand on Bella and showing Bella like a vision for her to figure out what's going on. She says, Renesme's hand was on my neck. She was remembering Kate's attack, showing me that no harm was meant, that daddy was in on it. And it's like, okay, well, it seemed obvious, but also how the, f- how the fuck does Renesme know that? Renesme can't read minds, can she? She can project images into other people's minds, but how the fuck does she know that Edward's in on it? She must be a smart fucking kid, is what she must be. For her to figure that out and Bella to not even figure that out, like, yeah, she's smarter than Bella. And that doesn't even pacify Bella. She's like, Kate, only Edward from now on. And Kate's like, yeah, mate. Like, it, it was all a test. I wasn't gonna electrocute your kid. But now she's all amped up. So she's like, all right, let's do it again. And so Kate starts zapping Edward and is feeling nothing. So she successfully projected her shield. Good for her. And then Zephrina sends out an image. She says, can you see this? All right, let me read this out. Can you see this? Zephrina asked in her deep, wild voice. Like, okay, she's got a wild voice, does she? And then it says her English was strangely accented. Is it that strange if she's not a native English speaker? Like, is it that strange that she would have an accent? Her words pulling up in unexpected places. Is it unexpected if she's speaking another language to sound different? Like we've met other people from other countries and she's not calling them out for their accent. Maggie and Siobhan, she's not calling them out for their Irish accent being like, oh, they unexpectedly had an accent. No, so why is she doing all this othering with Zafrina? She's got to be in her bonnet about Zafrina and I don't like it. Anyway, so Zafrina's trying to project an image on Edward and Edward can't see it. So yeah, the shield's working. And so Zafrina, she's like, oh, okay. No one panic, but I'm going to start blocking all of your sight by projecting an image and then put your hand up when you get your image back if Bella protects you. And they're like, okay. Somehow they all think this is easier than just Edward seeing if they can read minds, but okay. So then Bella starts extending the shield. She covers Garrett. She covers someone else. She's stretching, stretching, stretching. And then once whoever's under the shield, then their powers work again on each other if they're under the shield. So Edward, he's like, oh wow, it's like one way glass. I can read everything they're thinking, but they can't reach me behind it. So he can read other people's minds when he's under the shield, even Renesmee's mind, who's also under the shield, but he still can't read Bella's mind at this stage, that is. I don't know if she can project it even further outside so that he can read her thoughts if she gets more practiced at it, I don't know. 
Anyway, so she does a good job, but she can't sustain it forever. It snaps back and then she's all tired, which is weird for her because she's like, wow, I haven't been tired since I was a human. So she takes a minute and then Garrett comes up and he's like, okay, um, I'm a little bit interested in this zapping power that you have because he's an adventurer. He's got an adventurist spirit. So he's like, hey, maybe you should zap me. And she's like, all right. So then she zaps him and he's like, wow, that felt weird. You zapped me. So like, that's a fun little scene. We're just really building up Garrett's character for some reason. Or maybe they're flirting because when she zaps him, he's like, wow. And she's like, oh, did you enjoy that? And he goes, I'm not crazy, but it sure was something. And she's like, that's what I hear. And then Edward rolled his eyes. So I don't know if Edward can hear that inner monologue where they're like thinking about how they want to bang. I don't know. And so then there's a commotion from the front yard because some more people have arrived. And this would be like really confusing if I hadn't already read the index and was expecting that some Romanians would arrive. And you hear their voices, like their weird voices, their ethereal voices. And everyone's like, oh my God, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And it's like, I know it's the Romanians. I looked at the index. And Carlisle's like, did Alice send you? And they're like, no, but we heard about everything. So apparently this pair, they're like, word travels. We heard hints that the Volturi were moving against you. There were whispers that you would not stand alone. And they're like, this is obviously true. Pretty impressive gathering you've got here. And Carlisle's like, well, we're not challenging the Volturi. These people are witnesses for a trial that may or may not happen. We're actually hoping that they just pause for a second and we can explain that that kid's not a vampire. She's actually just a half vampire and will be let off scot-free. And these two Romanian vampires are like, well, that sounds ridiculous. We don't really care. We just hate the Volturi. And yeah, we'll fight with you against the Volturi. And Carlisle's like, no, we're not fighting. And they're like, sure, Jan. So she goes into the front room. She sees these two vampires and she describes them as looking like the Volturi. Their skin has that powdery look that the really old vampires have. So they're the Romanians, Vladimir and Stefan. And uh, apparently like centuries and centuries, like, I don't know, 15 fucking centuries ago, the Volturi overtook the Romanians as like the head of the vampire state. And so they're still pissed off about it centuries later. So they're just eager for a fight against the Volturi. Okay, great. More vampires for Forks to host. Will they also just restrict themselves to eating people in Seattle or or, or will they maybe accidentally kill Charlie? I don't know. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I love having so many evil vampires just hanging out in Forks. That doesn't make me feel unsettled at all. Then she says, in the end, we pulled together 17 witnesses. And then even though we've got an index, she lists them all. The Irish, Siobhan, Liam, and Maggie. The Egyptians, Amun, Kebi, Benjamin, and Tia. The Amazons, Zafrina and Senna. Oh, that's who Senna is. The Romanians, Vladimir and Stefan. The Nomads, Charlotte, Peter, Garrett, Alastair, Mary and Randall, who we still know nothing about. Who are Mary and Randall? Who the fuck are Mary and Randall? (sighs) And that supplements their family of 11. And I bet you're thinking 11. Who the fuck makes up 11? All right, well, they've dropped Alice and Jasper, but now they're including Tanya, Kate, Elazar, and Carmen as their group of 11. She says, aside from the Volturi, it was probably the largest friendly gathering of mature vampires in immortal history. Yeah, probably. They always say how the Cullens are the biggest coven apart from the Volturi, and they're six people. So I'm not surprised that 17 people is also breaking a record. She says, we are all beginning to be a little bit hopeful. Even I couldn't help it. Renesmee had won over so many in such a brief time. The Volturi only had to listen for just the tiniest second. 
what's a tiny second look like? I don't know, but they're just banking on the fact that Renesmee is so charming and cute that she'll win over the Volturi who are out to get them. They want to, like, that's the thing. We already explained last chapter that their motives are that they like collecting talented people. The whole Renesmee child thing was just an excuse for them to fight the Cullens and pick and choose the ones they want to recruit and then use their influencer Chelsea to get them on board. And they just assume that like, oh, she's so charming. As soon as they see Renesmee, they're no longer going to want to enact their plans. And it's like, Renesmee's more talented than a lot of you. She's a, a freak of nature. You think maybe Arrow might not want to take her too? Ugh. Anyway, she ends the chapter by saying the last two surviving Romanians were thrilled by the alliance, including the alliance with the werewolves. They watched her practice her shield. They watched everyone with their talents. They watched Edward answer unspoken questions. Benjamin playing with water and fire and earth and wind. And their eyes glowed with their fierce hope that the Volturi had finally met their match. We did not hope for the same things, but we all hoped. End of chapter. And I've said it before, but it's honestly X-Men at this point. Now that we've got Benjamin throwing around gusts of wind like his storm and Bella's doing a Jean Grey style shield, like it's, it's just gotten ridiculous. As much as I'm uncomfortable with these vampires, these 17 witnesses eating people in the Olympic Peninsula, I do miss just the olden days of yore where a vampire would drink human blood and our protagonist would be someone who kills the vampires. Like, I do miss that. Like, oh, my kingdom for a Van Helsing moment. But alas, I don't think we're going to get that. Anyway, let's leave it there. This has been a long one. I'll catch up with you guys next week. If you want to go over to the Patreon, our Allegiant recaps are finishing up. I do have uh, an exciting thing planned for the book we're covering next. I say we, I mean me and the listeners on the Patreon. I haven't got a new co-host that you guys don't know about or anything. Anyway, so go do that. Go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. You can also leave ratings and reviews, blah, blah, blah. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.